Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Liz Loza, back with Matt Harmon. We're in the double digits. You guys know the drill by now. We're going to recap five of the most interesting NFL games from Sunday afternoon and we'll preview the Monday night matchup. Matt, where do you want to start? Pick. How about... New England and Cleveland. I was just writing about that game. So perfect. Yeah, let's start. Ah, let's start with that one. We're already vibing. We are vibing as well as Mac Jones is with his receivers, my friend, including Jacoby Myers. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if it's that relevant for fantasy, but he finally <laughs> ended the touchdown drought and found the end zone. I believe it was a. Uh, I believe it was Jones's third touchdown pass of the day no, that he connect. No, was it fourth? Actually, it was. It was no. It was Brian Hoyer threw him the touchdown. Oh, shoot, which you're was, right. You're right. Of course. Which was ah. funny because Mac Jones said after the game, he was like, "Oh, I I told Jacoby like we were getting him one today, blah blah blah," and then it ended up not even being <laughs> Mac Jones who threw it to him. You're totally, totally right. I was thinking about what time in the game it was, and Mac Jones had already been pulled by that point because. The Patriots were dominating so hard. Um, A little bit stunning because this time last week we were talking about the Cleveland Browns defense and how Troy Hill in particular was such an incredible addition. He was coming off of what a career seven solo tackles and two sacks is unfortunately carted off in this game with neck um, slash head injury. So prayers up for him. But what a weird turn of events for Cleveland here. Well, yeah, I think my biggest surprise is that, you know, because I, I picked the Cleveland Browns. By the way, our, our DFS contest this week, mega low scoring. Last I checked, I don't yeah. even know that anybody cleared 100 points. So quite a shout out to us on that one. Uh, but I picked the <laughs> Cleveland Browns as my defense this week. So I'm like, Same. oh, yeah, listen. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like Miles yeah. Garrett, Jadevian Clowney. Those boys are cooking up front. Like, But, you know, the Patriots got Trent Brown back off IR. I think that was a pretty big addition in the run and pass game. So that was a that was a one surprising one. But, I mean, you know, obviously we could talk about New England's offense. But from the Cleveland Browns factor of this, you know, listen, uh, like just getting Odell Beckham up out of there is not going to fix all that or not going to answer all the questions about this Cleveland Browns offense. And particularly the question about Baker Mayfield, like it's like we get it. You know, Baker has been better with out Odell Beckham in the lineup. That's old news. That's part of a pat the past. It doesn't really answer questions about the future. Most importantly, like when Baker Mayfield's in a positive, friendly script where the Browns are controlling the action like they did last week, yeah, things can look really good in that passing game. But, I mean, it was about as bad as it possibly could have gotten from a statistical perspective and just like a feel of the game overall watching this early on against, you know, a tough physical defense on a contender. I mean, the Patriots are are probably going to make it into the playoffs at this point. They're definitely um, looking like a likely wildcard team. Can... Uh, Baker Mayfield and the Browns passing game respond in that situation that still is a huge huge question mark uh, with not a very good answer at this point it is worth mentioning that Baker Mayfield did leave the contest with a knee injury he'd been struggling with the shoulder injury up until this point so I think that 
you know, needs to be factored in. And you're right about yes. the Patriots, though. I mean, Matt Judon has been an absolutely fire addition, swarming to the ball. This is the fourth win in a row for New England. But I also think that we're not, I don't, I don't know, I feel like maybe we make so many excuses for the Browns or mm-hmm. maybe they're just such a beleaguered team because we've got the COVID situation, Nick Chubb not available, Kareem Hunt obviously still hurt. Um, Jarvis Landry's had a bad knee since the start of the season. Uh, and now Baker Mayfield has the knee problem that I mentioned. Dearness Johnson does, you know, work for fantasy purposes, but I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. Are we making excuses for them or is this just like a wildly weird string of continuous bad luck? I kind of think, well, yeah, they've had bad breaks all year. There's no question about it. The offensive line has consistently had to shuffle guys in and out. And that was that's supposed to be the strength of the team. Those guys are all signed for the long term because it is the strength of the team. You know, there has been some injury situations up there. Obviously, I think that's the biggest thing right now. It's, it's not even just Baker Mayfield as an entity. It's the current version of Baker Mayfield, which has been playing with this shoulder injury all year. Now, obviously, the knee situation. This passing game just lacks a lot of juice. Uh, like, I'm not trying to scrape sleepers from this passing game, basically. No. Like, I, I said this the last weekend that they – even the prior to this – the weekend where they beat the Bengals. That, like, I'm done with this passing game. Like, I don't care the amount of targets that Jarvis Landry sees. I don't care that Donovan Peoples-Jones makes – you know, some big plays every now and again. This is not an ecosystem where I'm going to want to consistently find value because, you know, maybe if they're going against a real, real soft defense, but even the Bengals defense was on paper a pretty solid unit. So it's just going to all be about, again, I know this is very easy, stupid analysis and like it sounds dumb, but the point remains like, if you could tell me how the first two two drives are going to go for the Cleveland Browns, I'll tell you how the game how Baker Mayfield is going to play. I'll tell you if I want to be invested in the passing game. Like if it starts off bad like this, I don't think they're the type of team. Like we talk about, you know, goofballs out there talk about the Ravens can't come back or blah blah blah. Like the Browns are not a team that's built to come back. Yeah. Basically, is is uh, the way I would say that. Well, listen, it's nice to get a little simple analysis once in a while because. <laughs> the past two weeks, I would say, have been completely upside down. Let's talk about New England for a second. Skew positively yes. for, a, for a minute because Ramondre Stevenson has an absolute fire day. 20 carries, 100 yards, finds the end zone twice. Damian Harris, obviously not available, didn't clear the concussion protocol. But there's a short turnaround here because New England will travel to Atlanta for the Thursday night game. And you expect that Harris would be able to play in that game even with the short turnaround. So... I think if you plug Stevenson in, great. But uh, now, it, now forget the simple analysis we just talked about with Cleveland. Like this gets complicated again. <laughs> this is very complicated. Very, very complicated. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna have to play a bit of a guessing game if both of these guys are active because I think Stevenson is too good to put the genie yep. back in the bottle. Yep. You know, like there you go. There's no going back there. I think he's got too much juice. We know this is a team that wants to be run first. You know, he is extremely explosive. Obviously, he's been in and out of the doghouse, inactive, not inactive, you know, whatever, the whole year. But I think as long as he can stay mostly mistake-free, there's too much. And and this is a team, too, like, in a weird way, uh, Nick Chubb is, like, the Browns' vertical threat, right? Because they don't really consistently have, like, a big play guy in the offense, right, in the passing game. Nick Chubb is that guy. I think in a weird way, New England doesn't really have any big play explosive threats in the passing game, you know, save for like a random Nelson Aguilar moment or whatever. Maybe Ramadre Stevenson, because he's a guy that can consistently get chunk yardage. You know, he has a long run of 18 yards in this game. He had that long catch and run in the previous game. Like, I think he could be a big play threat for this team. So in a weird way, I feel like he might become their, their guy to get explosives, basically. And... I just think it's tough to see him going away, but you're right. Damien Harris is not a guy that it's, it's kind of similar to the uh, Javante, like the low grade version of Javante Williams and sure. Melvin Gordon in Denver. Like they're not just going to go to Damien Harris and be like, sorry, buddy, but we're just going to throw you on the bench because Ramondre Stevenson looks pretty good. Like it doesn't really work that way. So I think these guys end up splitting touches. Brandon Bolden's still going to factor in too. But this is it's just a reminder to me that this is why you want to stash these type of guys on your team. Like you can leave uh, Ramadre Stevenson out on the waiver wire. But man, if if he's going to have a game like this, if something happens to Damian Harris again, 
you're going to want that upside on your bench going forward as opposed to, uh, you know, out there on the wire for anybody to grab. Important to remember, too, that running backs themselves often talk about their position as one that is rhythmic in nature. And yes. that's why the hot hand exists. It's not really a hot hand like, oh, who's the guy who's running particularly well? It's who's the guy who's in the rhythm, right? Like, yeah. And I feel like whichever guy is the one who finds the rhythm first and establishes that is the one who's going to get the, pre the predominant number of carries. Um, but we'll see. Obviously, there should be a lot uh, available for either slash both of these running backs uh, against Atlanta because that squad looks, they stink. looks rough, <laughs> look real rough. I mean, man, Matty Ice just went cold. That streak did not last. Benched hey, for hey, Josh if, Rosen. If Vic Fangio wrote the blueprint on how to solve the Cowboys offense, the Falcons forgot to read it. <laughs> they forgot to read Fair it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, let's talk about a pretty interesting upset. The Washington football team bested the Tampa Bay Buccaneers by 10. We love the double digits there. A little bit of payback for the wild card round of the playoffs last year. This is back-to-back -back losses now for Tom Brady's Bucks, and they're coming off a bye. So you'd think... They were a little bit healthier, though. Obviously, we know Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski weren't available. And yet, you know, Mike Evans doesn't see a ton of targets, but we know that they're high-value targets. This is kind of what we project for him all the time. There was a late 40-yard touchdown, and that saves a lot of fantasy stats. Um, Fournette, though, remains the target leader if we are looking for any sort of consistency with the big guys, the big-ticket, like, marquee names out. Leonard Fournette remains the dude. 19 touches, 92 yards. What kind of world are we living in, Matt, where, like, Leonard Fournette is the most reliable Tampa Bay Buccaneer? Yeah, well, I mean, we've been kind of living in that world for a little bit in terms of the backfield, right? But And, it, and it, does, it does hold up here because he's been, you know, this would be a script where, it's like, in preseason analysis, it's like, oh, yeah, Gio Bernard. This is a Gio Bernard sure. game, but no, yeah, it's it's not. It's still just a Leonard Fournette game. You know, obviously Chris Godwin came into this game highly questionable. Just got the one practice in on Friday, but uh, I was watching an interview or the post game press conference with Bruce Arians, and he was like, you know, they asked him, "Hey, is you know some of Tom's mistakes was that uh was that on the uh was that on like the receivers? Some of the guys that they had to sub in." Bruce is like, "Nope, that was on him." So love when he does that, but that's that's classic BA. He's thrown Tom Brady under the bus, or not even bus oh, yeah. thrown him, just like been pretty just transparent about it. Shot it straight, yeah, shot it straight. Yeah. I I don't feel like Brady's the only one who doesn't care about that. I mean, obviously, I think I saw Mike Tirico like, "Oh, that'll be a conversation point." It's like, yeah, right. We've never heard this story before. Then they go and win the friggin' Super Bowl. So give me a break on that. But um, yeah, no, I think that this game I is says more or maybe it doesn't say more about Washington but it brings up more questions about Washington for me because you know the big fantasy storyline in this game is Antonio Gibson 24 carries two touchdowns uh I saw you tweet about this that you know nobody obviously we all know nobody runs on the bucks right like they gave up a league low 159 carries coming into this game uh just 3.9 yards per carry they'd only given up two touchdowns to, to running backs over the first uh whatever games here so antonio gibson that's the guy that rings them up for 24 carries and two touchdowns uh but you could kind of tell yourself a story where this makes sense and it, then it's just about the sustainability factor because Look, Washington's defense set the tone early in this game. They got turnovers on Tom Brady, the two interceptions. Um, there was one that was a pretty close interception that ended up getting overturned at one point, too. But, you know, those guys were getting after Brady. They were hunting. Uh, you know, they get those turnovers. I wonder if the bye week obviously might have helped Antonio Gibson, the individual, get a little healthier. I mean, he was still limited with the shin injury coming into this game, but... Could perhaps the bye week have finally been the time where uh, Ron Rivera and Jack Del That's Rio, it. two defensive guys, yeah. were like, all right, let's figure this thing out. Okay, let's, let's stop it. blowing coverages. I don't think it has as much to do with the shin that everybody's going to make it out to be. Because when you look at the numbers and you look at the matchup, Gibson was not efficient. He only averaged no. 3.7 yards per carry. That's under the Bucks average allowed that you just mentioned of 3.9 <laughs> before this game. But... This is the big asterisk for fantasy. He finally got the goal line equity. He finally got those opportunities. And that's what we want to see out of a out of an offense that, like, outside of Terry McLaurin doesn't really have any, like, 
super healthy field stretchers. <laughs> they got nothing. They got nothing. I tweeted about this. And, and Terry McLaurin, by the way, the, banged up in this yeah. one. Like, what, first of all, can we just give a shout out to Terry McLaurin? I'm, people are oh going to look God. at like his stat line and be like, oh, yeah. that's underwhelming. But like to go out with a hurt collarbone, uh, an experience I learned before recording this, that you are familiar <laughs> with as well. You too yeah. have played hard-nosed smash McLaurin. mouth football and uh, experienced a little clavicle <laughs> issue. Um, oh, big, big <laughs> issues. Big issues. Uh, That is a long story. No no sense in wasting Google's time with that. But he comes back, takes a massive hit, holds on to the ball. First of all, converts the ball from Taylor Heineke, which, like, applause, number one. (laughs) Number two, takes a massive hit, still holds on to the ball, turns around, like, moves the chain forward. I I just think he is such an incredible talent, and I will continue to roll him out every week because that is the ultimate tiebreaker. Yeah, and I mean, he's been getting explosive downfield usage, too. Obviously, like, it's, uh, I saw Scott Turner say over the bye week, like, the number one thing that you want out of your quarterback is, you know, you he's got to have an arm to make all the throws. He's got to have a strong arm. Um, and the rest of the stuff is all just a bonus. That's, like, the one thing Taylor Heineke doesn't have. <laughs> so it's, like, he's got to be killing Scott back there. Uh, but I think Terry McLaurin, Great usage, of course, as you mentioned, and it's just one of those things like that Washington will be at the top of my list of a team that I want to get a legit quarterback because McLaurin is a superstar. You know, I've had people ask me about like dynasty rankings and stuff like that, like. Terry McLaurin would shoot to like the AJ Brown, you know, tier, the, the near Justin, like that sub Jamar chase, Justin Jefferson, like superstar tier of guys if he just had a quarterback and, you know, Taylor Heineke's doing his best out there, but he's, he's, you know, he's shooting some hospital balls at Terry. That definitely happened today, but it's just, when you look at Washington's offense, and this is going to bring the the point back to uh, Antonio Gibson, I swear. Like when we were talking in the preseason, it's just, it's a crazy to see how far they have come from what we hoped this team would be. Like I tweeted about this in, in April. It's like, man, they've got Fitz magic. Terry McLaurin is ascending Logan, Thomas, Curtis, Samuel, Samuel. and Antonio Gibson. And, like, now it's just the preseason boys and uh, what's left of Antonio Gibson at this point. So it, they are truly, truly undermanned on offense. But they did get Brandon Sheriff back this week. I think that went undersold. Their uh, all-star guard. Um, they still could get Logan Thomas back. I mean, we'll see. if Cur- Curtis Samuel, still, he's not on IR. Like, he could come back, I guess. Uh, Fitzpa- Fitzpatrick is probably not coming back this year. But there is still, like, there are... Th- Antonio Gibson sneakily could be trending trending in the positive direction, not just because maybe the defense has gotten better after the bye week. Maybe he's, you know, 5 10% feeling a little bit better than he was pre-bye week. I mean, if anybody needed a week off of football, it looked like him. And three, some of these guys on offense could be coming back to the point that, yeah, Gibson's not going to be what we expected in, in the preseason because, you know, he's just not healthy and so many things have gone wrong with his outlook. But a few things coming back the right direction at least could get him in the right game scripts that we need him to be. We're going to need those pass catchers to come back not only to stretch the field for Gibson and create the game scripts, but also this defense, uh, I can't believe we haven't mentioned it until now, took a massive blow. It is uh, Ian yeah. Rappaport is reporting that the team is fearing that Chase Young, the second-year standout defensive end, tore his ACL. We know that he left early, obviously, and it does not look good for a, for a return this season or possibly the beginning of next. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's kind of like the whole asterisk to the defense thing is that Chase Young, yeah. one of their you know supposed top guys over there, uh, Montez Sweat has also been out for parts of the season as well. So we'll see. They still have some quality players, but you know, schematically, we'll see. Yeah, well, it's also just last thing. It's weird because Chase Young has been playing like 100% of the snaps. Like they keep him on the field so much and coming off by when you think you'd be rested from that. This is an awful turn of events. Um, yeah. That being said, Carolina, the team we're going to talk about next, who uh, surprised Arizona, will be playing the Washington football team next week at home. So, Matt, your cardiac cats if you will um i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you to comment here because there's a lot there's a lot there's there's some nostalgia for you um cam is obviously back he screamed it to the crowd after rushing in a touchdown and then he went back and passed a a touchdown to robbie anderson who was probably thrilled to not be drawing (laughs) it sam darnold on the sidelines this week 
So, uh, and if next week Chase Young isn't available and Montez Sweat isn't fully healthy, then I don't know. How are you feeling about Cam Newton? Keep pounding, Oh, baby. man. What a... What a day. I mean, when Cam Newton comes in and rushes in, like, he plays two snaps, scores two touchdowns. It's just, un- can't believe those dork referees call it unsportsmanlike conduct. I know you can't take your helmet off, but give me a break. Cam's back. Cam is back. It was so exciting. And um, I don't know. I just look, PJ Walker even played a, you know, halfway decent game here, too. You know, he's a distributor. But McCaffrey gets in the end zone for the first time in forever um, through the air. Oh, no, excuse me. That was called back. So we're still waiting on McCaffrey there. But he catched the ball 10 <laughs> times. He, we're still waiting. 13 carries for McCaffrey, 7.3 yards per carry, long run of 15 yards. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, I think Cam, you know, it's going to be hard for me to not get really excited about Cam Newton, especially this next week. And, you know, the fact that like he showed, he's still one of the most unique goal line weapons in the entire NFL, despite his age, despite all that, you know, it's the, the offense needed something. Look, I'm, I'm not delusional enough. I think to get too excited about the Carolina Panthers, the rest of 2021, but cam at least saves them from being an embarrassment. I mean, there was a chance that this team could have sunk to the bottom, you know, like of the offensive rankings. And Sam Darnold was basically taking them there. I mean, his like from an EPA per play standpoint, from a success rate standpoint, yards per attempt standpoint, he was basically New York jet, Sam Darnold by the end of the, his run there in Carolina. So um, I don't know that PJ Walker was going to save him either, but I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, for guys like DJ Moore, you know, who has seven targets in this game, it didn't quite work out obviously with PJ Walker behind center. I think we expected that to be the case, but you know, DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey, maybe even Robbie Anderson, you know, Terrace Marshall gets two targets, no catches, but did catch a two point conversion. I'm at least, intrigued now that cam newton is back but this was a surprising outing especially on the arizona side like whatever juju that cliff kingsbury was able to conjure to get you know a great game out of colt mccoy in the year 2021 that burned out pretty quick he also went out with a chest injury so there was a continuity issue i i will give him that much i mean still he threw 20 passes and completed 11 of them before (laughs) (laughs) it's fair enough and and Carolina's defense, I feel like, came to life again. Like, they got after the four sacks, two on each of these quarterbacks, um, and punished the run as well. James Conner finally gives fantasy managers a mercy touchdown. (laughs) Ten carries, 39 yards. You do the math. That's not efficient. And and a nice touchdown. So that's the... That's the gimme. It is worth noting that, like, had game script worked a little differently, Eno Benjamin did carry the ball six times, so I do think he's going to be involved in situ- – obviously, next week we're assuming that Kyler Murray is going to be back. We're assuming that Nuke Hopkins is going to be back, and so we're assuming the offense will be a little bit more explosive and that will help this, these running backs a little bit. But I, I don't really – you know, Christian Kirk is the target leader with eight. He converts seven of those for 58. It was just a really flat – performance um i'm more interested we we just got to get kyler back basically yeah we just got to get kyler back for this cardinals team to hit any sort of ceiling last note on on the panthers too i know this is like people roll their eyes at this stuff but i've saw a bunch of clips you know from cam newton on the sideline like having all of the guys huddled around him like you know giving pointers to the young offensive players stuff like that i'm sorry that was not happening with sam darnold as the starting quarterback like that was there was never that vibe around the team that was never a thing and like this was the whole you thesis take of advice why... from sam darnold like that robbie yeah. was screaming at him yeah exactly that's what i'm saying like immediate it's an immediate vibes boost at the very least for the Carolina Panthers. Like there's a lot of good energy around this team right now. I think that stuff matters. Um, and this is the whole reason, like part of the reason, or at least the thesis behind why the, the Patriots cut Cam Newton, at least this was Cam's theory about it. And a lot of people felt this way was because you can't just have a guy, a gravitational force like uh, Cam Newton on the sideline as your backup quarterback or whatever. And I think he's immediately kind of showing that that is the case with his role there in, in Carolina, like guys are gravitating towards him. And I think he's going to be, even he's not going to be old Cam Newton, whatever. He's certainly going to be a fantasy factor because he's still a hoss back there, but uh, running the ball. But I, I think it's, it's a good, it's just a boost for Carolina. I remain very bullish on that. Matt, Matt, you've said a lot of words. What I really want to know is over under two and a half touchdowns for Cam Newton in week 11. Oh, what a joke. Over. (laughs) Yes. All right. Let's move along to the next matchup. 
The Minnesota Vikings beat the Chargers by a full seven points in the Chargers stadium. Um, Los Angeles has lost three of four. The only win that they've managed was versus Philly, a team that just beat Denver, who was the favorite by two and a half, but still the favorite uh, this today, this Sunday. So, um, you know, I, I think last week John made the point. I don't remember if we mentioned it on the recording or not, but that the Chargers are one of these teams that play up to the level of the opposition and I don't know why these games are so close when your best player is Justin Herbert and he should pass for 300 yards in this one. Well, because I want to say this every week, but they've got Justin Herbert playing like 45-year-old Drew Brees or whatever from last. That's the offense that they got to play. 5.7 yards per attempt for Justin Herbert. I mean, that's just... It can't be this way. This is not this is not how it should be. I'm still pissed that the Chargers weren't the team that signed Deshaun Jackson. Like I know the Raiders needed that replacement for Henry Ruggs and all that. It's a it's a good move, but the Chargers need some vertical juice here. It's like that's just so obvious when you watch this team. Mike Williams is like a big body contested vertical threat, but there's just nothing here to stretch the defense out. Maybe Josh Palmer can be that type of guy for them too. If they, if they he's can a, get him more he playing projects time, to be like a possession type guy though, he exactly, doesn't have yeah. that profile. I think Guyton would be the one that I would most expect to fill that role, but he's just not getting enough reps or he doesn't have an, any rapport with Herbert. It's so weird. It's so weird. And Guyton was like one of the top, route like in terms of overall routes run last year he was up there so it's it's very strange uh also Brandon Staley you know kicks a field goal late in the game uh to get up to 20 points from 17 ended up you know being kind of what what did them in there too which is ironic because Brandon Staley's the fourth down guy or whatever but I don't know I'm I'm very disappointed by this Chargers effort I remain underwhelmed by this offensive coaching staff and the plan that they have put around Justin Herbert. You know, I mentioned this stat last week, but he's he was at least last week coming into this week. He was like bottom 20 in terms of air yards per attempt. Like you just can't be having that happen with the Justin Herbert led offense. It's it's bizarre, especially because the pass protection has been better this year. I mean, there's been some injuries on the offensive line throughout the course of the season, but that's that's kind of the deal with everybody. I don't know. Very disappointed in this Chargers offense. I thought they had a, a great theoretical matchup against the Vikings secondary uh, that had just played like 98 snaps last week in overtime against the Ravens. I figure, you know, the Ravens were looked pretty gassed. I don't know. I'm very, I'm on I'm like a disappointed parent here, you know, from I'm, I'm an El Segundo uh, Inglewood's just uh, over there. I'm like shaking my head across town here at the LA Chargers. <laughs> uh, well, you shouldn't be shaking your head at, Je at Justin Jefferson heading into this game. Dalton and I talked about on Friday's pod how Clint oh, yeah. Kubiak was pretty open about needing to get Justin Jefferson the ball more regularly, and he made good on that promise. Obviously, uh, Jefferson was the target leader for the Vikings. He converted 9 of 11 for an I love you. That's one four three. It was his third 100-plus outing of the year, and um, we're feeling pretty good about that at least. Yes, always nice when they tell you the truth. Like when he's like, yeah, we can't have Justin Jefferson getting five targets in a game. We got to correct that. He comes out with 11 the next week. Um, yeah, that was good to see. That was definitely good to see. Uh, Dalvin Cook also 24 carries, 94 yards, a touchdown, uh, three carries, 24 yards. Um, you know, obviously he's got an off the field situation going on right now, but this was a pretty cake matchup. Everybody knew that. Exactly. Next week, the Vikings will travel to Green Bay which I think leads us to talk about that game. Um, the Packers and the Seahawks in the snow. There were a lot of narratives attached to this matchup heading into Sunday. Um, oh, but I yeah. think the most apt name is the Rust Bowl because nobody looked good. And you could put a pin in that. What? Nice. Love it. The <laughs> Rust Bowl. The Rust Bowl is good. Um, middle of the country game. We love it. Uh, yeah, no, I think that, man, watching Russell Wilson, all, all you know, all, the whole time when Geno Smith is starting and, you know, commentators are talking about the the way that Geno drives the ball in to lock it on those deep shots when Russell Wilson moons it in or whatever, that whole situation. Sure. Yeah, I did. Russ was off as a deep passer for sure. I think 
especially between the two quarterbacks. Look, Aaron Rodgers didn't have a great game either, but particularly Russell Wilson, 40 pass attempts, 11 air yards per attempt in this game. He comes away with 161 yards. The Seahawks get shut out for the first time ever with Russell Wilson as their quarterback. Look, and I think there's a chance that we just look back at this game. And it's like, yeah, that was Russ's first game back. You know, shout out to his social media videos, but the return was not quite what we were uh, hyped up to believe it would be. So there's a chance that we just feel that way and like this is just one game or whatever. But yeah, that, I would say that the biggest problem in this game was just that Russ is Russ looked extremely rusty. But also, I do want to give credit to the Packers defense that has put up a lot of great performances lately. Uh, you know, they held the Chiefs down. Everybody kind of holds the Chiefs down at this point. We'll see what happens Sunday Night Football here in it, coming up in a little bit. But, uh, you know, I think the Packers defense, without Jair Alexander, their best player, and also some guys like uh, Zedarius Smith still out. A lot of players have been out for the Packers. But, you know, Devondre Campbell has been a huge find for them. This is a This defense, I think, is actually one that we uh, need to start respecting a little bit more, too. It's also interesting that there were three interceptions in this game and all three of them occurred in the end zone, yes. which I think speaks to just how messy and off and, you know, depending on which team you root for, it'll be because of the snow and the weather. It's really coming down now, right? Um, or it will be rust or it will be whichever narrative you choose to believe and argue for. I will say I love DK Metcalf. I love a player that tries to sneak back onto the field after he's been uh, called out. That was awesome. And it was gratifying, at least, to see Gerald Everett get involved here. He converted all eight of his looks for 63. I, the player in the offseason that I was pretty high on, expecting the Me reunion too. with Shane Waldron to go a little bit differently <laughs> than it has. But, you know, better. I think maybe we can we can catch a little. Although next week's matchup against what I believe Arizona does not bode well for well, it's going to be a tough matchup for Seattle, frankly. Yeah, overall, not exactly a soft rebound spot there, uh, even no. though the Cardinals defense didn't look that great in this spot. Let's hey, talk about talk Go Aaron ahead. Jones. Yeah, we yeah that's Aaron what I Jones? was going to move to. <laughs> I, well, I want to give Seattle its due, you know, and then move over to the Packers side of things. I'm sure Aaron Jones managers and investors are already aware that he left the game early. He was emotional upon exit. The team fears that it's an MCL issue. He'll get an MRI on Monday when you're listening to this to determine the severity of the knee problem, but doesn't sound great. In the meantime, A.J. Dillon does the most with his opportunity, carrying the ball 21 times for 66 yards and two Lambeau leaps. Oh, man. I mean, I love A.J. Dillon. Obviously, Aaron Jones, like, we want nothing bad to happen to Aaron Jones. We hope that that is a situation that he can come back quickly from, for sure. But man, I mean, it, big. I said this uh, today when we did the fantasy face-off, Andy and I. When I had to, I got sl uh, saddled with JD McKissick. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Some little PPR back. Give me a break on that one. Uh, when a Andy got to do AJ Dillon, big hulking back in the snow. Yes, we love it. We love uh, we love AJ Dillon in this role. So, you know, yeah, I th I think he has what top. What would you say if, if we knew that uh, top 10, top, top 12, 10 top for 10. sure. I, I mean, top yeah. 10 is, is a lock. They're playing the Vikings uh, next Sunday uh, at 1 PM Eastern game, the Vikings defense. Now it is in, in Minnesota. So they're not, you know, home team, but uh, it's a dome though. The Vikings, it's a dome. Yeah. But it's not the snow Liz. It's not out in the elements. That's, uh, I mean, that's where AJ Dillon really gets going. Uh, yeah. But still, I, yeah, it's a dumb, it's a dumb game. Should be high scoring. Uh, Minnesota's defense, I still believe, is not a very good unit, and they've been bad basically against the run all year. Uh, so that is a, a talking point for sure. I think AJ Dillon would easily get another twenty touches in this uh, in this week. You know, they've been kind of split the touches between Jones and Dillon. This could really constrict to just him. Basically, the same analysis uh, we had with James Conner last week, getting all gassed up about James Conner. Do that, but like times five. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I'm with you. I, it'll be interesting when we do our ranks of how inside the top 10, but I said 10 immediately without even thinking about it. Some odds and ends. Let's talk quickly about Philadelphia. All right. <laughs> the running back situation. Listen, I know that people are sick about talking like neither. No one wants to talk about Jordan Howard. No one wants to talk about Boston Scott. But like also we get a ton of questions about these running backs because the position is so stinking thin. And Howard 
12 carries for 83 rushing yards. Boston Scott, 11 for 81. There is your split. Again, it's yeah. a position of rhythm. And the Broncos can definitely be run on. We've seen that if a team can, unlike what happened with Dallas, you know, just basically, which I think was just a fluke is like my analysis with the whole, the Cowboys just didn't execute in that game. Just like I said, just a fluke. But if you can build a lead on these Broncos, or at least, you know, be in positive game script, you can run on them. And the Eagles have been, I don't know why it took the flower man, Nick Sirianni, so long to figure this out, but like... (laughs) Got me on that one. I didn't see it coming. They're bl- okay. <laughs> they're blue. They're blooming. They're blooming there in uh in the backfield for for the Eagles. Uh, like, do you think this? Do you think this says okay? Do you think this says anything about Miles Sanders though? I was thinking about that as I'm watching Jordan Howard like rip off some decent runs here. Uh, 25 yard run for Jordan Howard. 23 yard run for Boston Scott. Miles Sanders obviously is on IR. I don't know if and when he is going to be back, but it's like. The Eagles never really tried to establish the run with Miles Sanders. I always felt like Miles Sanders is like a whatever back anyways, but Jordan Howard and Boston Scott are certainly whatever backs too. Uh, but yeah, this is the, this is the offense the Eagles should have been running all year. What are we doing here? I don't think it says much about Miles Sanders because if you remember the game that he got hurt in, it Fair. was one that they had finally committed to the run and he was looking pretty good. So I think he might have yeah. been the uh, the sacrificial lamb in some ways. Um We'll see how crowded it gets when he comes back. They do have the Saints next week, so that's not, you Tough know. Tough matchup, yeah. Yeah, the, the best matchup for this duo. I'm sure we'll receive plenty of questions about it anyway. I have a question for you, Matt Harmon. Did the 8-2 and two Titans have any relevant fantasy players without Derrick Henry? Yeah, obviously, A.J. Brown, disappointing game. But, yes, he's still a top – I think he's still top five receiver rest of season. Yes. Two touches for 23 yards in a win. Yes, I will say, though, you know, the Saints have a good defense. We know yeah. that like just said and they have a defense, particularly uh, that's like built to stop the passing like t- tight ends and number one receivers. Uh, they've they've held down a number of number one receivers throughout the year. And in a game where the Tennessee Titans kind of sneaky controlled this thing, A.J. Brown obviously has a, a letdown performance. He was also a little in and out of the game with injuries as well, too. So um, which is always a part of the A.J. Brown equation, Experience, I guess. But yeah. yeah, it's uh, I'm not I'm not really concerned about Brown. This was a this was a potentially risky spot for him anyways. I suppose the thing that I'm most impressed with by the Titans is their commitment to a run first identity, even without Derrick Henry, right? Like, and maybe that has to do with Julio Jones constantly being injured and unavailable. And maybe it has to do with AJ Brown and the banged up experience that you're talking about, but they're clearly, I mean, Donta Foreman and props to Scott Pianowski last week, who on the pickups pod with Andy Barron's encouraged people to pick him up. Like, is it a great matchup? We've already talked about how the Saints are a pretty good defense. No, but he does lead the backfield in totes with 11. Adrian Peterson had eight. They both ripped off long runs of six, so not gorgeous by any means. But he also converted both of his looks through the passing game for just under 50 yards. So Donta Foreman is going to be a factor as much as we would like to see Adrian Peterson see, I don't know, like 13-ish touches per week. Yeah, I mean, I'm hey, I'm cool if it's Foreman. I'm I'm fine if that's the answer to this I question. Mean, I, I didn't mean, invest in any of it, but sure. Yeah, well, listen, I desperation picked up Adrian Peterson knowing that my team is screwed if I have to play him, and some of these teams are screwed, so that's fine. Um, but <laughs> I, I think that you know we'll see. I think we'll get a really good test for the Tennessee Titans, like how how. Um, can they actually establish a running game at some point? Because, like, we're talking about Dante Foreman leads the team in carries, has some nice explosive plays in the passing game, but he's still got 11 carries for 30 yards. Adrian Peterson, eight carries for 21 yards. They get the Texans next week. That's a nice little rebound spot for them. Nice little rebound spot for A.J. Brown. It's like, yeah, you can you can get all twisted about A.J. Brown in this week, but, like, are you really going to bench him against the Texans? I don't think so. So, uh, yeah, I, I will be interested to track they're running back. I don't. I still don't think you can really start any of these guys with confidence. Because Liz, how, like, what percentage shocked would you be if next week the Titans come out and AP has like 18 carries against the Texans in a positive game script? I'd be zero percent shocked. I think probably zero percent shocked. But I do think it's worth. I think the benefit of having Foreman stashed, especially if we're going to acknowledge that the Titans yes. are maintaining their run-first identity and the fact that Adrian Peterson is 30, what, six years old and an injury could occur, right? Like, that's a that's a valuable stash, and there's equity there sure. that I don't think anyone 
thought about ahead of time. Um, but if we're talking about rebound spots, like the best, at least for fantasy, rebound effort came from the Dallas Cowboys. You get two touchdowns for Dak. You get two for Zeke. You get two for CeeDee Lamb. Everybody's happy. Even Tony Pollard gets in the mix. He was tied with seven targets. Uh, he and CeeDee Lamb both were the target leaders for the team. Convert six of those for 56. Everybody's in the mix except for Amari Cooper. But we've talked about, well, I guess, and Michael Gallup. You know, let's talk about Michael Gallup, actually, because he was a player that we discussed on FFL. And we're like, well, do you got to play him. Like, we got to see what can happen. And in a matchup that's pretty soft, like, he should get some some run. And it just three for 42 isn't it. But he also had a 23-yard catch. Yeah, I think Gallup looked good. He made some, like, clutch plays, too, for the team. Yeah. Uh, this was the concern, though. You know, nobody more than seven targets on the team. This is the concern once Gallup gets back is what does the target distribution look like? And, you know, is this going to be a situation, you know, because the Cowboys are, are still running the ball extremely well. And this, I, I do think, like, we're not going to see games like this where Dak only throws the ball 31 times very often because I mean, they bl they blew the doors off the Falcons and, like, it wasn't even close. The halftime line on this game uh, was, like, Cowboys minus 33 and a half. That's how much they were blowing the doors off Atlanta with, like, no hope. And the Falcons didn't even put up any resistance, you know. And, like, the they didn't even get, you know, even, like, the Cowboys got blown out by the, the Broncos last week. At least the Cowboys were able to get a couple garbage time touchdowns. The damn Falcons couldn't do anything in, like, a little second-half catch-up mode or, or whatever. So, uh, very disappointing effort for the Atlanta Falcons, who are kind of feeling themselves coming into this week. But on the Dallas Cowboys side, yeah, I think going forward – we're not going to see too many scripts like this, but this is the concern once Gallup is back. Well, okay, are we just going to see CeeDee Lamb with seven targets? Are we just going to see Amari Cooper with four targets? And I think those are real and legitimate concerns where I, I still think CeeDee Lamb's a guy you're playing every single week. Yeah. You're never questioning it because I think he's the best offensive skill position player they have, the focal point of their passing offense. Uh, but I'll want to dig more into like, the route distribution and, you know, where these guys got targeted, air yards, stuff like that the rest of the week before, you know, really getting concerned about any of these guys. But I do think, like, Gallup and, and Amari Cooper, they'll be sort of similar to kind of – not quite the Bucks offense because they're never going to be that, like, pass heavy. Whereas, Explosive, you know, like, yeah. you don't want to – you don't want to be benching any of these Bucks receivers in a given week because you could be really left out in the cold there. But I wonder if it's, like – Somewhere between Tampa's wide receiver trio and like what we're dealing with with the Denver Broncos, where we know somebody's going to get banged even in even in really good games because it's a Teddy Bridgewater led offense and there's way too much talent here. There's a lot of talent in this Cowboys offense, but there's actually some ceiling here as well. So don't know that I have like a good. <laughs> I think I talked a lot without. No, saying I too think much. that that's when you were saying that. I was thinking that the other end of that, like the less explosive version of the Tampa Bay receiver situation is Denver. We talked about it last week and we saw it play out, right? So I think you're right that the Cowboys have balance, which is great for real life football and not always so great for fantasy football because the trees aren't as saturated or concentrated as we would like them to be. And so I think that that is like, they are the midpoint between those two situations. Um, one note before the Cowboys get the Chiefs next week. That's obviously like you're going to be want playing every single one of these players. And then they get the Raiders the week after that. Saints, Washington, and then the Giants. So we like that schedule. What we like it's next week. All right. Let's preview the Monday night game. It is the Rams favorited by three and a half at San Francisco. We know that the 49ers don't really win home games difficult for them but we also know <laughs> that Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay have a little extra something between each other there's a, a rivalry um we also know that Robert Woods is sadly unavailable for the rest of the season he's lost to an ACL and of course the biggest news is that this is OBJ's first game in a Rams uniform yeah, going back and watching the Rams offense and going back and watching Odell Beckham this year, uh, I think he is a really great fit here for exactly kind – of, and it's a similar system too, right? You know, you would think Kevin Stefanski comes from the same tree as Sean McVay. They're all like off that Shanahan tree basically. You know, Kevin Stefanski has done a lot in Cleveland. He's mixed a lot of different philosophies, but still it's like a Kubiak-based offense or at least what he was running under in Minnesota there. So – 
I think some of the route concepts, like the backside digs, like some of those in-breakers, those will be really familiar for Odell Beckham and a lot of the routes that he was not getting targeted on in Cleveland or, or that he was frustrated over. So I think from a scheme fit, it will be pretty good, which is, I mean, that's the thing, though. Like, the freaking Rams need him now. He went from, like, a luxury to a necessity like that. Can you name any, after Van Jefferson, can you even name any of the receivers on the Rams roster? Not anymore. <laughs> no. Tutu Atwell on IR, uh, yeah. as, as Evan Silva said on Twitter, he blew away. Um, and, you know, okay. we've got Deshaun Jackson in Las Vegas. I looked at the Rams roster after the Robert Woods injury, and, like, I, I like to think that I know most players in the NFL. I was like, I don't know who these guys are. I mean, Brandon Powell has had some moments in the league. He's, like, on the practice squad, but it's they're light at receivers. So, you know, I know you still got Cooper Cup and Van Jefferson and Odo Beckham. That's great. But like they need Beckham to basically become an impact player right away. The OBJ conversation for what it's worth reminds me of the Le'Veon Bell conversation when he went to the chiefs and the, well, he's oh, not no. going to go someplace. Well, it's, but it's a, a similar, like he's not going to go someplace where he doesn't see significant playing time, but also like maybe just wants to go someplace. that's not full of drama and he can win. I, I'm a yeah, little bit I, less. Oh, I agree with you. I'm a little bit less excited about obj in terms of fantasy particularly i mean you made very salient points but also the thing that we know is that obj wasn't on time for anything like the only thing he is on schedule for is his damn tweets at least based on what we saw in cleveland and that takes a minute to build rapport and of course sean mcveigh is a genius and matt stafford has this great arm and now obj is motivated not like we don't live in a city with some distractions though and so I don't know how much timing and rapport is going to factor in for immediate production. We'll see. Yeah, that we'll definitely we'll see about just how it goes. And yeah, I agree with you. That I mean, there's a motivation, look, right, to feed him now. So at yes. least that piece of it without Robert Woods on the roster will be taken care of. But that's that's the thing that I mean is like I think that we could have had this discussion about well, number one, obviously. People are like, well, why would he go to LA? He he's not going to see balls. It's like, well, okay. Number one, they they have the third most pass attempts in the NFL. They run three wide receiver sets at the highest rate in the NFL since Johnny Munt's injury by a long shot. They're over ninety percent. But so he's going to get he's going to get some pass attempts. But he knows that right uh, that he's not going to get those. He's not. He knows that like the depth chart in LA. We talked to the guys before signing. So obviously his main motivation is not like I better get eight to ten targets a game or whatever. I think he clearly does want to win. Wants to be in a place that really wants him there. Good vibes, yada yada. So there's part of that to it. But I think all of that was a nice conversation to have before they lose Robert Woods. And Robert Woods is like one of the best blocking receivers in the NFL. He has so many like design touches. It's a huge loss, I think, for LA no matter what. But they basically do need Beckham and Van Jefferson too, who I like a lot. And like, God, the Van Jefferson analysis has gone from like, Deshaun Jackson's getting cut. He needs to be rostered in every single league. Well, Odo Beckham is there. Like, the, the it's up and down, up and down. Robert Woods injury. Now it's like, I think Van Jefferson's like a top 35 receiver the rest of the way. Um, and I would start him against the 49ers. I mean, at this point, you, your lineup's already set. I like him a lot in daily fantasy this week, too. You know, I would take the over on his 48 and a half yards. This 49ers defense is broken. Like, there's no coming back from what they are defensively right now. You know, Ben Solak from The Ringer made the point that, like, they had a cornerback Lenore, uh, I can't, I can't say his first name. I screw it up every time. But they had a little like fifth round rookie cornerback Lenore from Oregon, who was like making some plays for them early in the season, and they bench him because uh, he gives up a touchdown to the Eagles. So now they're running out these dusty veterans. Uh, it's 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 just a tough scene. For bad vibes in the 49ers uh, organization right now for sure. I think that the secondary is a big problem. Like I, I don't know that I'm counting on Odo Beckham to have a big fantasy game in this one, but like I said, over the long term, I think they're going to need him. In terms of DFS for the 49ers, is there anyone that you're interested in? Eli Mitchell is $19, which is significantly less expensive than the Rams, Daryl Henderson, and obviously uh, Jamichael Hasty is out. I don't know if that's enough of an impact, but it, uh, there's a couple targets there that Eli Mitchell could absorb. And I don't know, there's a pretty big discrepancy between the costs of these two running backs. 
Definitely a big discrepancy. I think if you're uh, going with one of them, Daryl Henderson has seen his carries drop every single week. And, you know, the biggest concern for Henderson was, is he going to hold up to a full workload? I'm not saying that's what's happening right now, but it is definitely a reason why I want Sony. Like Sony Michelle should be rostered in 100% of Yahoo leagues, just in case for the stretch run here, uh, something is to happen to Daryl Henderson. But yeah, I like Eli Mitchell in this spot, but obviously, I mean, the play for 49ers is Brandon Ayuk at like 15 bucks. Oh. I mean, give me a break. Do you see what I just bucks? I served I served that up for you. That was it. Oh, let you I let I didn't want to steal your thunder, friend. You know. We're I a mean, team. I, I appreciate I appreciate it. I appreciate it. That's uh, why this is a good show. But yeah, no, 15 bucks for Brandon Ayuk, that's like bringing in some of the early season mess, but you know, these boys Kyle Shanahan, Brandon Ayuk, John Lynch mediating it apparently. This is they're we're good here. We're good they here. They worked it out. Uh, they had a Ayuk conversation. They had quote some words. Is what Ayuk yes. uh, said, which I, I like that. That makes it sound so much more dramatic than they had a. I'm, I would love to know what was said between those two guys, but Ayuk has been grinding in practice. He's been he's been out there hashtag grinding, and uh, you know he's been first on the team in routes run of the last two weeks. I think we're back to like preseason expectations. Not my preseason preseason expectations, but like the rest of the world's preseason expectations for Brandon Ayuk, and it does give me a little pause when paying up for Debo Samuel or you know projecting Debo Samuel for the rest of the way. Not just because of Ayuk, but also because Kittle is back. Like Debo's been doing all of that he's been doing on number one, like kind of his a dot to yards per reception. There's a huge gap there because he does so much after the catch. And he's been getting absurd, like, weighted opportunity up there with, like, Devontae Adams or A.J. Brown. I love Debo Samuel. The guy is a freaking baller, but he's not that player. Whereas, you know, he's not that number one outside receiver that you funnel things through. He's been doing all this with Kittle on IR. He's been doing all this with Ayuk barely having his existence acknowledged by Tank Williams (laughs) and his own coach, Kyle Shanahan. So, like... I think it is a little concerning rest of the way for Debo Samuel. I'm not saying he's going to like be a bust the rest of the way, but I would say he's probably more of like a wide receiver too. And until his daily fantasy price catches up to that, I don't know. It's, it is a little concerning that he's getting a ton of volume on a bad passing offense too. That's also always concerning just the rest of the way. So Matt just used a lot of brilliant words and Brandon Ayuk had words with the coaching staff. If you want to have words to keep a conversation going, you can do that on Twitter. You can follow me at Lislows underscore FF. You can follow Matt at Matt Harmon underscore BYB while you're words. at it. Nope, don't send Matt any words. Never mind. You know what? Send them all to our social media manager, Trevor Lewis at Yahoo Fantasy. That's oh, yeah. where you can find him. He loves the gifts. Very, very important. He um, <laughs> doesn't necessarily explain them when he's talking um, in an audio format, but it's still, it still works. Smart. For a different angle on Sunday's games, you can listen to Charles Robinson and Frank Schwab in the most recent episode of You Pod to Win the Game. Seriously, you should definitely subscribe to it right now. And then make sure you come back tomorrow to this podcast for the very special Pickups Pod with Andy and Scott. I already told you that they gave Scott handed out some very important nugs for this week. I can't wait to hear what they recommend for week 11. Until then, study up, say words, good luck, we're out. 